Welcome to the She's Illuminated podcast with me, Ellie Loves. I'm a breathwork healer and advocate for women, not just finding their voice, but using it. Through the breath, I help people get unstuck and get energized to heal the most important relationship you have with yourself. Sometimes all it takes is a conversation or an idea to light the touch paper and begin the process. This podcast is an invitation to get curious, inspired, and become the most authentic, fearless, expressed version of you. So come on, let's get illuminated. So welcome to episode 12, and today I'm talking to you Donna Lancaster. Donna is a coach therapist with over 25 years of experience supporting individuals, couples, and groups. And she's also the co-founder and a facilitator of the Bridge Retreat, a six-day personal development experience offering life transformation through deep healing. She's passionate about the subject of grief and the grieving process for which she believes offers the missing link for many in our search for wholeness. This interest stemmed from her own personal experience of depression, which she suffered from for many years and later recognised as unprocessed grief. She talks about going through life like so many of us, as a warrior woman with focus on strength, tenacity and being indestructible, and how her body literally shut down, forcing her to reevaluate life and explore new ways of being. As a co-founder and facilitator of the Bridge Retreat, Donna supports people to return to the truth of who they are. Through allowing and supporting the natural order of the grieving process to flow, people find themselves remembering who they really are and living from this true place. Where there is unfinished business in our lives, it's really hard to move on and engage with life fully. Grieving allows us to cross the bridge from past hurts and sorrow into a place of lightness and joy. The bridge retreat is also a space to explore loss and how to grieve and not just grieve the loss of loved ones who have passed away but to grieve any and all kinds of loss and heartbreak in life from loss of innocence to the pain of divorce and separation, miscarriage, losing the life you once knew after having children, feeling rejection, empty nest syndrome, lost opportunities, losing connection with yourself, maybe the loss of a family unit growing up. It's a space to heal your heart. We reflect on how the Western world isn't used to uh, processing pain or understanding grief or loss as a part of the human condition. Her mission is to change this so that people can remember and return to their true nature, their spirit, and to live from this place in joy and peace. She's also working on her first book, The Bridge, which will be a practical supported uh, seven day program that empowers you with the tools that you need to gain clarity and learn how to release the pain, fear and anger, keeping you trapped and help you move towards wholehearted living. I can't wait to read it and I really hope that I get the opportunity to attend the bridge in the future. And lockdown has meant that she's actually taken her work online, which is such a gift. So if you haven't come across her work yet, I highly recommend that you do. Firstly, there's a beautiful documentary called Loved, which I'll add the link for in the show notes, following 12 people on a journey to overcome grief and loss at the bridge. Check out thebridgeretreat.com and you can follow Donna on Instagram at Donna Lanks. Enjoy. So Donna, it is such a great pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome. Thank you. A pleasure on this end too. 
So I became aware of Donna's work probably a couple of years ago, actually. I had a really good friend of mine, a psychiatrist, who was really wanting to go away and do a course or a retreat. And she said to me, Ellie, you know about these things. And I was trying to find something that really straddled spirituality, but also in the linear grassroots sort of therapy retreat experience. And there weren't an awful lot. And so when I saw The Bridge, and it was in the UK, it seemed like the Holy Grail. It turned out that she ended up going up to, I think, to Chiang Mai uh, and going there for a month. But the, uh, the bridge just stuck in my mind. And then since you then released that beautiful film, Loved, that documentary about the work that you do there. And my interest has been piqued ever since. So it's such a joy to have you here. And I'd love you to share the work you do, how you got into it and why people should do it. Because I think everyone should. Wow, we're going straight in, are we? Meaty, <laughs> keeping it meaty. <laughs> yeah, so how I like it. So so what can I say to you? The, the Bridge is a six-day personal development program, and it's really supporting people, in essence, to return to the truth of who they are. That's what it's about. It's about supporting people to access and release any emotional blocks that are hijacking their life holding them back you know and so many people associate the bridge with grief and that there was this sort of misconception that the bridge was only about bereavement and you know as you know I'm on a mission to dispel that myth because grief is a natural reaction to any kind of loss and so what we work with on the bridge is loss as part of the human condition so you don't get out of, uh, you don't go through this life without experiencing loss or heartbreak, as I, as I call it. So mm. we really help people heal their hearts, actually. That's what we're uh, there to do, to support them to really heal their hearts. And we get a lot of people suffering with conditions like depression and anxiety and lots of people with some form of physical manifestations of their emotional pain, whether that be the kind of ME's and chronic fatigues and IBS and migraines and lower back you know those are people that come to us to look for a more holistic and embodied healing mm. route so yeah and we get people from all over the world and and uh it's yeah it's it's something I think as you said before we started I believe uh, that, uh, that yeah that it's that beautiful combination of you know really robustly tried and tested therapeutic techniques and methodologies alongside the kind of spiritual dimension which includes things like rituals ceremonies etc mm. so I think there's something that makes the bridge special is that blend that blending those yeah. things together so something very organic and earthy and we we really include even in the online program we're really encouraging people to include nature and music and silence and solitude as the medicine that they need yeah yeah so tell me how did you come to this work because I'm guessing you didn't come to it because you felt like you were the finished article <laughs> I, I, I knew you're an intuitive woman so, no, absolutely not. same same we're in good company yeah, absolutely, again exactly and it's like you know uh, it's a bit like why we're drawn to this work you teach what you need to learn etc and and um like yeah. most people that are in working in the in a therapeutic or healing capacity you know I came to this work through pain and uh, I will say that pain is the greatest spiritual teacher that I've ever um, come across is my pain yeah. and addressing my pain and healing my pain uh, has been such an incredible journey and really what what made me want to 
more and more to support other people. And originally, Ellie, when I was drawn to, so my original training back in the 20, in my 20s, I'm 53 now, but back in my 20s, my uh, training was in uh, child protection social work. And I was drawn mm. to that because of my own childhood trauma. But the, the, but the yeah. problem with that is if you don't do what I call your own inner work, you're always looking out at the world and your cases and your clients through what I describe as your wound lens. And that is yeah. really not healthy. And that's what I did is yeah. I tried to, it was almost like, I will say that I went into social work because I was like, let's look at your shit. So I don't have to look at my own. Yeah. Um, and, and that worked for a little while, but it was always going <laughs> to, until know, it, it didn't, it was always going to end messy. And it did, you know, um, isn't that interesting actually when you think about that because there are so many people I was talking to somebody recently about people that go into like, SBS those people that go in and what they do is they just chuck it in the backpack so you either are triggered by it and it's keeping you up at night or you can what people do is they just hold on to it and they don't express it at all and then it literally hits them like a ton yeah. of bricks when they're least expecting yeah, exactly. it exactly and that is you know I always say that one of the one of the issues for me was around the warrior woman uh, sort of persona that I'd kind of put on. My armour was very strong and very thick and it was a really good defence for a very long time. But there came a point when it was actually getting in the way of my own healing. So I needed the warrior woman part of me to step aside so the yeah. vulnerable part of me, the childlike part of me, could actually step forward and heal. Not letting her go in the sense of, banishing her but actually asking I will say I asked the warrior woman to step to the side because she really was she'd kept me alive in my childhood and then actually as mm. I said she was becoming actually getting in the way of me healing because it was like I faced everything head on it was like Donna the warrior Donna can get through this anything any challenge you throw at a warrior woman you know you, you she'll push yeah. through you know she never goes around or she's like I'm going through and it cost me dearly and that's when I ended up having a breakdown because it was it was just that defense became very obstructive for my own healing process. It's, isn't that interesting what you say as well because warrior woman Donna would have been the best advocate for, for a, a, a mum who was in a violent situation for a child that needed safety. So you can ima I can imagine how, and I think this is what happens with lots of us, is that we go, if we say to ourselves, yeah, but I, if I'm not like this, I'm not going to be able to do the work I'm doing. And you can kind of give that to yourself as a bit of an out for not doing the work or not changing yeah, things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and, uh... and interesting that your body just stopped you. Like you say, you had a breakdown, so you had no choice about it anymore. She was going there, whether you were compliant Absolutely. or not. And that's what I love about the wisdom of the body, Ellie, is that it's like... <laughs> My body just got to a point and it was like, you're not doing this anymore. So I'm going to give you a panic attack and I'm going to bring you literally physically to your knees. And that's so symbolic in terms of humility. I will say I was nose down in Humility Street and it was actually in a ladies toilet. Mm. Very unpleasant. I could have chosen someone more classy, but I think it was like the universe <laughs> inspiring to say, have the humility to heal. And down I went and yeah. I had a full-blown panic attack. And it was so funny because I worked in, in you know, I worked a lot with families, a lot of, with a lot of women in distress and with trauma and, you know, people that had anxiety and panic, etc. And I never saw it in myself because I had been a warrior my whole life. It was like, me? Have a panic attack? Mm. And actually, it was mm. exactly what I needed, even though it was absolutely terrifying because I thought I was having a heart attack. It was that big yeah. uh, an impact on my body.
Can I ask you if you were aware of the fact that you needed to do the work or whether or not, honestly, you were unaware and you did you have the sense that you were running away from something or hiding for something or were you like, no, no we're good no, here? No, that's stupid. <laughs> I knew that I was running <laughs> and I knew that I was, I've always been pretty aware and so I knew that I was hiding and running and using relationships and alcohol and drugs and all the things that people in pain often do use to to kind of self-soothe but they were very destructive over time and then all the all the while beavering away at work and, and working compulsively trying to save in inverted commas all these little children which were just projections of myself yeah mm so what happened next where did you go because that sounds very familiar to me too it was panic attacks I kind of was holding on to it literally keeping a lid on it probably up to about here and then the panic attacks where you were suddenly in a situation where you were in the public or you were with people that you were that didn't know you didn't know well enough to share that with and suddenly that's like well there's me not going out then until I can sort this out yeah (laughs) there's me not picking up the kids from school uh, in case I bump into somebody, there's me not spending any time with my parents or my parents-in-law or my sibling. You're literally, like, unless you're willing to do the work, you're isolated and suffering on your own. What did you do next? Yeah, I mean, it was like all of these things in life's rich tapestry is that you. I look back on it now and I'm like, that was the point when I was really reborn. That was the point where something so my whole, all my egoic structures, everything, all my defences, they just no longer were, uh, they no longer fit. And so it all began to kind of dismantle and fall away. And I was kind of grabbing. And I remember my therapist saying, your old life, Donna, is like a corpse and you need to, and you're clinging on to a dead corpse and you need to surrender and let that dead corpse go and honour it. Mm. And, and really what she was saying at that time, she was, you know, a life-saving person for me, is that she said, you need to give yourself the time to grieve all of the reasons that you've come to this point in your life. So back basically, well, as I will say, to revisit the scene of the crime and really get back in contact with that little girl that was so traumatised in her childhood, my own, and, mm. and really allow her to be seen, heard, understood, and to grieve, uh, to feel all of her feelings about what she didn't receive and how difficult it was. Mm. And that was transformational and very painful, as most of these things are. And it took time as well. I mean, I was lucky mm. because I was in employment, so I got uh, sick pay and I was off. I think it was the whole process where it took me three months before I could even entertain working. So I just literally, Mm. I just went to therapy and I was, in my sense, I was, when I was in the house, when I was in my home, my children wouldn't really have known that there was that much wrong with me because I was okay because I didn't have to do anything that involved other people or responsibilities outside the home. Yeah. And and like, as long as I didn't, I could drive them to school and luckily they were old enough that they could get, the eldest one could take the younger one into the classroom. But as long as I didn't have to get out of the car, I was Mm. okay. Yeah. see anyone yeah. same I remember that around decisions yes. I remember in the morning sometimes my husband would say what do you want to do for dinner tonight or what do you think about we're meant to be seeing my parents on and I'd be like the anxiety that would come up around making a decision and like you say I feel like at home no one would have really known what well, obviously my husband did but my children wouldn't have been aware because actually I was just hunkering down nothing else mattered so it was just taking care of the, mm. the children 
but yeah anything else and you I think you almost do yourself a disservice when you're trying to make it sense make it make sense mm. for other people and trying to explain how you're feeling when I'm feeling like I'm utterly broken and that I need to pick like someone's chopped my life into a million tiny pieces and I've got to quickly get them back into some kind of semblance of order by yeah. a school run and and we both yeah. know it's not happening absolutely <laughs> it is it's it's also the again the wisdom of the body, Elia. How like I don't know how it was for you, but for mm. me, I just would take them to school in the morning. I would come home, I would get back in that bed, and I would sleep. And it was yeah. almost like the exhaustion of denying that pain for those many years just completely all at once caught up with me, and I was utterly exhausted. And I just slept, mm. and I would literally set my alarm. I would wake up go for a yeah. walk just to get some connection and, and nature and, and my dogs at the time they really saved me and then I would get in the car go mm. and, children, and then that enabled me to just do the mothering stuff until I could get back in bed again and that mm. was what I needed yeah was utterly to rest yeah. deep rest actually deep rest and then yeah well I love that that the explanation of depressed is deep rest as well that it's so beautiful isn't it it's the dying away of the of of life as you knew it it's a it's knowing that you can't go on for a minute longer in that old life with those old yeah. guises all of those old yeah. props yeah <laughs> all the old disguises you know the glasses and the mustache I mean that was out <laughs> yeah yeah, no more Mr. Ben, no more sort of glossy finished. Yeah, yeah, of course I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that for you too. Yeah, I know that I'm not getting any sleep. Oh, yeah, I'll bake the cakes. Yeah, I'll do the zero boundaries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a place that either a lot of people will recognize or have avoided or think that looks too terrifying. But I think what's really beautiful is that you just say there is that it was like the undoing and the death of an old life but the beginning of a new one and it's really hard at that point to see that you're at the beginning of a new one but when you've been through it and got through the other side you see it as like a series of mini deaths and a, and mini rebirths yes, absolutely and also that people especially I think it's changing but still not fast enough this idea about therapy and working on yourself and all of that is that during those massive transitions, those massive deaths, like the ones we've just talked about, you need support. You need somebody to hold yeah. your hand. And again, my warrior would have said, Pat, before, like, I can do this by myself. And then I was left this crumpling heap. And it was like, I think you definitely need some guidance and some support and somebody to hold your hand through those difficult times. Mm. And, and it is scary, absolutely. But what comes is, I always say with wounds, is that when we get dare to face our wounds and we get close enough to them, we see that there's actually a doorway within them. And when you go through that mm. doorway, that portal, you've discovered the, the gifts that were always there waiting for you. And only people that dare to mm. go through will ever find those gifts. And so it's like, for some people, they're like, nah, <laughs> I don't believe you about the gifts because you have to go through to, to yeah. find it. But yeah. I'm yet to meet somebody that hasn't found those gifts when they've dared to go through. I think what's hard as well is that I think for a lot of people, if you're if those things are related to your which they always are in some way to your relationships, to your parents, to your friends, it's like a spider's web. So suddenly for you to go into this like total like cocoon stage and try and carry on and make sense to 
I think that's what was terrifying for me. And I guess it's for probably for you too, everybody. It's like, how can I just want to leave my life where it is, go off, do the work, come back and then deal with it. I, but the truth is, like you say, you've just got to go through it. You've got to say, I don't know how I'm feeling, but I know that I'm just not, I'm not happy where I am and I need to make some changes and I'm just working Absolutely. them out. And to give ourselves the time, time. and the space to do that. That's what people, you know, that's why people yeah. take pills a lot of the time is because they feel like they've got to get back to work and they've got to get on. And, and I, yes. I understand that if you have to make money, of course, but it's really unfortunate that we don't live in a culture where we kind of say actually if you broke your leg and no one would bat an eyelid that you'd be, be off for six eight weeks but if you have mental health issues yeah. it's something that is still shrouded in a bit of shame and that is a shame because mm. it's something mental health yeah. is something we all have and and most people at some point in their life go through some distress with their mental well-being and it's just so important to yeah. as I believe it's so important to finish our business from the past because it doesn't leave us alone. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't. It's like, I will say it's like invisible Klingons, you know, you're wading, trying to kind of get through yeah. life and there's all these like little gremlins on your back. Yeah. And they're like, going anywhere, sunshine. We're going to just get you to repeat that disruptive relationship and that disruptive scenario. Yeah. Until you that's, get it. That's how generous the universe is. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah, I would keep getting it in the boss yeah. at work. I would keep getting the father pattern in bosses at work. And then I'd, be, I'd, I'd not say anything and then I'd end up bursting into tears and then they'd be like, what the hell? Because I was being forced, forced, forced to speak up, know my worth, all of that stuff. And it kept coming until it stopped, until I did the work. But I love that also, that lovely phrase of everywhere I go, there I am, or, or a variation on that. It's like oh yeah, you can get the new job, you can get the new relationship, but there are the same old patterns and they come thick and fast. And they get worse and worse, don't they? They get more and more serious, I think, more and more detrimental to your mental yeah, health and well-being. And physical well-being as well. And, and it is that thing, part of my dysfunction played out in my relationships and I would just go out with versions of my father in, in intimate relationships. And I would, you know, it was in my 20s and 30s, it was always about them, <laughs> you know, that one. It's like, yeah. they're just they're you know not right for me or they're a complete or whatever and then it, you know at some point you have to look at the common denominator it's like hello it's you donna and, <laughs> yeah no exactly. right and then it's like yeah you can leave and i say this when i you know i worked as a relationship yeah. therapist for many years and i say you can leave if you want but if you don't take the learning it will just be same issue different phase meaning you will meet another person who will show up for you look just like you with your boss bosses and they'll just show yeah. you the same lesson so you just change faces yeah. <laughs> a different face yeah. looking at you oh it's so true issue. so tell me when people come to the bridge what kind of stages are they at in that process it varies. i mean some people come to the bridge and they're very clear they've got uh, an end of a long you know say a 30-year marriage or 20-year marriage or whatever and they want to grieve that so, and that's what they've come for. And then other people come for, you know, they want to a lessening or an easing of their depression and that's what they come for. So very clear, that's what they're there for. Mm -hmm. And that, if you like, is the therapeutic aspect of the work. 
And if that's what people are yeah. where they're at and what they're ready for, that's great. But what we are offering is also the spiritual dimension to this work, the transpersonal. So, so we mm-hmm. and we still offer that to those people, but they may or may not be in a place where they can uh, be available to that. They just say, oh, thanks. I've grieved my dad. I've grieved the end of my ma- marriage and off they go. Great. But then there are other people that mm-hmm. are on a very different, perhaps a uh, a, a different phase in their life a different stage and it's not about better or worse or anything it's just we are where we are yeah and then and they might want that added dimension of the work and to really recognize the work is as I call it inner activism so it's really about working on our individual wounds in service to the collective mm. ones and so really looking at the bigger picture that goes beyond the small story of me so we get those mm. people and I guess what's interesting as well is that the people that come to mourn the divorce will probably realise as well that there are some much larger things at play or other things, not larger, giving them a scale or size, but there are just other things that are a part of Absolutely. I mean, we had, when we, we, it's actually our very first bridge. We had a journalist come from, I can't remember where she was from. I think it was Red Magazine or something. I can't remember. Anyway, she came and she did, this journalist, she came because she wanted to grieve her marriage at the end of her marriage and I can tell you this because she wrote about it but and then what she found when she did the work on the bridge and very quickly that was that because uh, she couldn't understand why she couldn't let it go you know it was several years after her marriage had ended and she still could barely function and then what she really realized uh, very quickly realized is that it wasn't just about her marriage ending it was actually when you what I call follow the trail when she followed the trail back to Mm. the original source of wounding, which was when her mother died when she was six years old and no one ever talked about it. So he was triggering, Mm. that end of that marriage was triggering that core abandonment wound. And so she had to go back to Mm. that in order to be able to fully healthily move on from the relationship. Mm. I think it's so interesting what you, you, you said earlier about the space to grieve. There is no space. So we get space to share this beautiful sort of top part of the circle, you know, the glossy, the finished, the I'm all right, I'm all good enough kind of. And then we don't get the, the time to sort of share the, the parts underneath, which are the triggered, the jealous, the, you know, abandoned, the all of the other stuff. And there's just not a lot of space for it. I wonder how we can create more space for that in society. I guess the answer is probably by modelling it. But I wonder, this feels like there needs to be a big shift because I feel like what happens is people just hide all that other stuff. So they just go quiet. We just go quiet and we deal with it inside. And there seems to be so much of a space. And I feel like for me, that's my path is creating space for people to be able to express all of that and Mm. for it to be okay and safe I think that's the key isn't it yeah safe absolutely too. And, and I think also things are slowly changing around the shame people used to feel about being mentally unwell etc and that's the thing as well with social media we know that it affects negatively impacts uh, people's mental health especially around the whole perfection illusion but also some really yeah. you know amazing well-known people are actually using their platforms for for good in terms of actually showing how imperfect their lives actually are and I think that's really important especially for young people to see I'm thinking of Fern Cotton as an example and she 
she's somebody she does amazing work to to support people in terms of their mental health amongst many other things and she regularly she posts pictures of herself just got up she looks like a mum that hasn't had any sleep and that is really affirming for other mothers that haven't had any sleep to say oh yeah she just looks like me (laughs) and that's and that's yeah absolutely because that's what most of us look like yeah I think also something I've noticed is that there is a sense that you can look at the grieving and the in this sort of very fluid way, or you can look at it in this sort of very much it's Pandora's box, it's under the rug. And that sounds like a creature that's going to jump out in the night at you. And I think changing people's perception that this is something that you can ebb and flow through, you can be crying about and releasing something from childhood and be able to do the school run (laughs) and being able to have your parents over and say I'm just feeling a little sad about it is that something we can talk about or I don't know I I feel like creating more freedom and flow around it rather than it feeling like if I'm going to go there I'm going to have to do it it's going to be big it's going to be painful how am I going to integrate that I'll just avoid it and also I think as well is that because people aren't taught how to do this stuff, how to do grief work, which I call the the inner work that mm. we do, which is also soul work. It clears the debris from your soul, yeah. and, and and we're not really shown. And if it's not modelled to you in your through your parents, and they have, didn't have it modelled to them, British stiff upper lip and all that nonsense. It's like, how do you know? It just feels like a colour you've never seen. You're like, where do I even begin? Yeah. And so I get that. And then yeah. also the terror the terror around will it consume me will I still be able to function and and that's why that's why partly why I do the work that I do but also that's why it's so important that people are getting these messages around not only just how to do it that it's okay and that it is like you say safe and there's mm. things you can do even within the your own sort of life where you can still get up and, and take the kids on the school run unlike you or you and I and many other people when they've left it for so long and pushed and pushed yeah. warrior style and then and then you don't have any choice but to stop because yeah the yeah. universe will just say this ain't happening <laughs> the other thing as well I mean, is that people say to me i'm so scared i've heard this so many times when people say i'm so scared of what this this six days will will bring and i say to them is there's nothing more scary than living half a life so there's nothing that they will go through in those six days that will be painful <clears throat> than existence rather than thriving, rather than living yeah. with a joyful heart, you know. And that is the other thing as well, is that the work, you can do it in a way that alongside grief, uh, grieving and releasing your grief um, through the body, you can also, will also be able to access more joy. Because that's what happens. The deeper you mm. go into that, the more lightness comes in. Because that's why people often say to me, oh, but you're so joyous. And it's like, yeah, because I do my work. You know, my system yeah, kept yeah. releasing and clearing. And it might sound like an effort, but it absolutely isn't. I mean, I cry most days. And it's like, mm. to me, crying is like laughing. Yeah. You know, I laugh a lot and I cry yes. a lot. And I'm okay, I'm okay with that because it keeps everything... Yeah, well, they're two sides of the it's same like, coin, aren't they? Doesn't you know? It, I'm not really that that attached to one or the other. You know, <laughs> it's like I laugh, I cry. Yeah. And what yeah. seems to happen is the more I've accepted that, I seem to laugh a lot more than I cry. Yeah. yeah. So tell me how that how the process goes then through the through the bridge retreat. 
can you share a little bit about the the process and the the way that you break down the time people spend with you and how they approach yeah, the I mean, healing work need longer than an hour but I mean it, it's really hard to kind of put into a, a, a there's no you know like sometimes people say uh, what's in a, a typical day and there's no such thing as a typical day because there's no such thing as a typical yeah. person or a typical group we tend to get themes within groups like one group mm. tend to be a lot around maybe the mother wound or another group will be a lot around bereavement and depression and and so we what wonder one of the wonderful things about having your own program is you can adapt according to the needs of that particular group but that said general speaking we would do something every day we start with some kind of movement because we want to get people literally out of their head so we def so we always start with some kind of movement we do a lot of therapeutic shaking and that that kind of shaking up the system I know you know about this and then and then there would be yeah. some kind of educational piece if you like where we would be talking about a particular subject whether it be anger as life force whether it be grief and loss as part of the human condition whether it be healing unmet needs from your past so we talk about that and we, then we ask people to go away in silence into nature by themselves and to relate that topic to their own life to their own past so they're really making time for what we call personal inquiry contemplation and mm. they would do some writing and sometimes they write letters etc and then in the afternoons there tends to be some kind of ritual where we are processing what has come up through that inquiry and that that works in very different yeah. ways there's very different rituals obviously we're doing it online at the moment but some of the rituals are one of the key things that, that some of the rituals include is being witnessed in our story so people would for example they might mm. write a letter to somebody that they have the most unfinished business with and then they would sit in a even online they do it in the small group where people are primed not to try to fix or caretake or interrupt not to do anything but to silently respectfully witness this person's distress and as this person reads their letter, often that comes and the emotions can start to release because the body's already been shaken up, ready for the, that part of the, the work. And then uh, again, when that happens, we then go back into the body, moving the body and supporting the body to continue to shed, continue to release and then grounding. <clears throat> it's that part, that somatic and physical part is so, or embodiment part is so valuable, isn't it? And it's essential because I feel when I went through that process a decade ago I did all of the mind work but none of the body work I needed to get into my body I needed to feel where the tension was I needed to feel where the restriction was I needed to make shapes and express myself in ways that I hadn't allowed myself to and when you give yourself permission to do that and that doesn't necessarily have to mean dancing but like you say shaking is a great way of doing that isn't it it's incredible what Absolutely. more comes and, and through, isn't it? how could you possibly heal without the body? Because to heal means to return to yeah. wholeness. And to be whole, it means you have to include the mind, you know, the emotions, the body, the spirit. Holistic healing has to yeah. include the body. And so yeah. that's why so many people, if they yeah. just do the kind of analysis and, and, and really understanding their patterns, that's great awareness. That's not healing, that's awareness. 
oh I did therapy for years it was amazing don't get me wrong but it was like I knew my dad was like this my mum was like that and therefore I'm like this I got that you know I'm not stupid I got that quickly but did that change my (laughs) I got that at about 200 pounds worth Not too grand. But but then you, you, you know, and then it's like, and then what? What do I do with that? And what I needed to do with that in terms of the work as we offer it to the world, and this is only one offering of which there are many different routes to healing, but the way we offer it is we're then, it's about accessing that part of you that is still five years old when your father left, 10 years old when you got bullied at school, 15 years old when your heart was broken with your first love, whatever is true. And it's like letting those, Mm. what David White calls emotional orphans be welcomed home. And that has to, has Mm. to include the body. Oh, when you say that, that was one of the things that I had, I had picked up that you had written or was to go back for them, to come back for them that they're those orphans are just waiting mm, for you yes. to come back for them I, I, isn't it it's actually i'd love to claim it's my own but it's not it comes from <laughs> my ego no. <laughs> no one will know i would but my <laughs> ego would love it but it, it comes from a, a piece that i heard from the poet david white and he was actually talking about somebody else and i can't even remember but he was basically he described this feast and he said that you come to a point in your life where you sit down at the feast of your life and everything that you could possibly want to eat or drink is at this uh, abundance this abundance of food and drink and it's you're sitting there and you're by yourself with the feast of your life and you feel like something is missing and he said that's because it is because Mm. outside outside in the cold hungry waiting are all of the parts of you that you banished a long time ago your emotional orphans as he calls them the part of you that felt not good Mm. enough the part of you that felt unlovable or stupid or on and on and he said if you get up from that table and you open the curtains you will see these little children these little emotional orphans with their noses pressed against the glass really desperate to come in and our work is to that's what I believe with all my heart is our work is to open that window and welcome in invite all of those children into the feast and we will return to wholeness when we sit there with all parts of ourselves and we say yeah there's a part of me that may sometimes Mm. get triggered into feeling abandoned or broken or not good enough and blah 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 and she's welcome here have have some food have some drink Mm. enjoy and that in and of itself Ellie it was for me it was life-changing when I realized that my warrior had been banishing those parts of myself I used to kick the part of me that felt weak and and vulnerable and I'd kick her you know I kicked her under the bed Mm. a long time ago and I had to crawl back under the bed Mm. to get her I also think that I guess it can work in both ways. If you've got other people that witnessed your life in different ways, like a sibling, or you have no siblings, no evidence, nothing. (laughs) It can be really hard. And I think that, again, I think maybe it's just a, a societal thing that people go, oh, that was ages ago. Or really, I didn't see it like that and diminish that experience for you. And it's really important to be able to go back and do that work yourself and know that if it's important to you, it's there to, to be healed. It's your, what we call on the bridge, your emotional truth. So it's not about factual truth. It's about what it felt like for you. Your mum mm. may look back at your childhood and say, 
you had a great childhood and you say i felt lonely i felt yeah. abandoned and actually you felt lonely you felt abandoned that's your emotional truth and that's the part of you that you need to honor yeah. and so many times people especially i see this with people that grew up in a very affluent and privileged environment they, they're like i'm not allowed because we had food on the table i'm not allowed to feel pain emotional pain and it's like yeah. utter nonsense that that has sometimes an added dimension because you had all this affluence and yet you felt desperately mm. alone and we have to acknowledge and validate that mm. part of ourselves that felt that way but emotional truth is everything yeah. and that that's the power of of work like the bridge is the is the community element is for people to be mm. witness to our story as i say without trying to change it or having their version like a friend might they've got an opinion on this that and the other or your family members might be reactive about yeah. no no that wasn't like that and and just to have what we call benevolent yeah. witnesses where they just sit and are present to you that in and of itself is profoundly mm. healing so what you're saying is that you don't need to have the approval or the agreement of all the parties involved no, for it to be a truth for you. Good luck, good luck. Hell no. You, try going down that route. <laughs> you can't see her face. I can see her face. It was literally yeah. like, what? I mean, good luck with that. You know, if I, I, I think, you know, if I waited for my father to apologise to me for what he did in our childhood, I'd be waiting yeah. until my grave let alone his I had to find my own apology and that is also one of the things that we we offer on the bridge is we offer the child inside the person a form of apology that they perhaps will never receive in real life because as yeah. the wonderful V who used to be known as Eve Ensler she wrote the vagina monologues and a fantastic book called The Apology yes. about her own making peace with her own father and she says this wonderful thing, and I, I always quote it because it's so powerful. She says, a heartfelt apology, real or imagined, is medicine to the soul. And that I know to be true. Mm. You know, and that's what we offer on the bridge, is yeah. we offer for that person, each individual person, to hear and feel and know the sorry that they deserve. So you don't need to wait from it for, for it from the person and the person Absolutely. can be no longer in this world and you still get it. I think that's one of the most beautiful things actually in the documentary. I think I mentioned it before. Do you call it love or loved? Or is it no, it's, love it's, it's, D, it's, isn't it? um, it's loved. So it's love with the brackets around the D. So yeah. it's basically it was me, uh, my idea that because the director didn't wasn't keen. And I said, but that is it's, we're showing yeah. them love so that they feel loved. And, I, and but we didn't think about the complications yes. of people actually trying to find the film with that bracket. And people, people are like, I can't. I know. It. I'm like, didn't think of that at the time when I thought I was being all clever with my brackets. Oh, I love it. And if um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes actually, so people can go and find it. When you have those beautiful moments where you have men in their 60s, there's a lovely gentleman there and just sobbing and saying he's sharing tears for the first time and having people play the part. Is that from my memory? It was a little bit ago. Is it that they're playing the parts of the family members? So you've got them like doing that family constellation work, which is so beautiful and so powerful, them being the person that they are. That, that the person's talking about and receiving those words from Absolutely. the people I mean, in the that, group. That's the thing is the, I mean, it's loosely based on family constellations. It's not pure constellations, but 
we're, we're all trained in constellations yeah we wouldn't have time to do it in the, in the way that yeah no exactly. yeah when we long talk, hand you know, you've got eight people in a small group that's a lot of uh, <laughs> that's a lot of hours so what we do the in-person retreats is we absolutely we get people's story we recreate people's significant parties within this family system yeah through small group uh, representatives and then what they get again is they get to say some of the what I call the unsayable so for example if you remember from the documentary where Carrie is on her knees representing her inner child and she looks up at her father represented by one of the members of her small group and she basically says to him I don't want to see you anymore and that's something as a child she would never have been able to say that to her big bullying uh, yeah. abusive father but in that moment that gave her power back when she said go away and she actually sends him I don't think you see it in the documentary but she sends him out of the room and mm. physically this man leaves the room and you see her it's like the breath of life and she comes and stands from this <sighs> childlike position and she stands onto her wobbly legs but she starts to in that moment not only heal but reclaim her power beautiful mm. oh and how, I'm intrigued, how is this translating when you're doing it now in lockdown? First of all, I want to say I'm so pleased that you're doing it and you're offering it because the bridge is big, meaty um, work and it's not something that everybody can do. So being able to offer it remotely like this, there's been so many gifts for so many people offering healing work and it's been so accessible now, which is so joyful. How is that yeah, translating I mean, online? Yeah, obviously to change the bridge um, significantly because so much of our... Uh, usual in-person retreat is about intimacy it's about touch yeah you know, we do things as you know like where we literally uh love people it's called a love ritual and we hold them in a way that you know love their it. mother or father or or just it's for people to experience safe loving touch without agenda for some of us that's really mm. rare and uh, for many people, actually, it's, yeah. it's really rare. Touch usually has an agenda attached to it. So we really love them in that ritual. And things like that in the family constellations, that, that we had to adapt the content so that we could offer that to people in a, in a different way. So, so what, what we've, well, I don't want to say too much, but, but basically we, we've adapted it to make sure that mm -hmm. people have experiences and very powerful ritual experiences, which allow them to learn one of the key skills, which is around how to parent the self. So whereas mm. in the in-person, we would, of course, we would be doing that. But actually what we're really about is teaching people to self-soothe, self-parent and self-love. And so what, what we've got in terms mm. what we've received in terms of the feedback from the online retreat is that people found it really powerful because they couldn't get distracted with the group meals and all the things that because we had a woman on yes. the online bridge who's also done the in-person one and she actually preferred it she said um on the in-person one she felt there was a lot of focus on kind of socializing and community and even though she felt this connection to community mm. in the virtual sessions she said it was really lovely to just at the end of the day just to have a meal by herself and look after herself and go back into solitude and let everything kind of settle what she'd gained mm. from the day so it's actually we've been blown away yeah like many people we were like how's this going to work online and of course it's different but different yeah. doesn't always mean less than and actually we've been really yeah. blown away by how powerful it's been for people 
Yeah. So tell me, what are some of the stories of people that have done the bridge online and in person in after they've done the, the work? Outcomes for their life. Yeah. I yeah. Think the first yeah. thing to say about the bridge is I, I'm a realist, Ellie. I'm living the real world and I'm not interested in selling something that isn't true because what I, what I stand for is truth mm. and authenticity. And so the bridge isn't offering a quick fix. It's not a panacea to all your ills. Mm. It's not like you do six days and ta-da! Wouldn't it be lovely? Wouldn't it be lovely? <laughs> this is not the real, yeah. uh, this is not real life. And so this is why, you know, sometimes people yeah. got asked the other day when someone said, oh, will it fix everything? And it's like, first of all, there's nothing to fix because you're not broken. You may feel broken, but you're wounded. That's very different yeah. from being broken. And the second thing is that we are not in the business of fixing. We are in the business of supporting people to yeah. heal, you know. So what people mm. have said in terms of the, the outcomes for them, both in person and on the online version, is that what they have is a lessening of the kind of conditions, whether it's a lessening of their migraines or their depression or their anxiety, etc. Yeah. And generally people say that life feels lighter because when you've shed some of that heaviness mm. of your past, the Klingons that I spoke about, you start to just feel more yeah. this. I know you can't see me, but I'm kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah, you feel more yeah, flowing, flowing. more flexible and more fluid. And, and that's yeah. how people describe, yeah. you know, life after the bridge is it feels lighter. It feels, they feel more resilient for life's knocks and challenges. Yes. And they feel that they've got a, a, a series of resources to be able to continue to keep their systems clear because that's what it is about. It's not six mm. days, dun, dun, I'm done. And so many people want that and that's not possible yeah. and it's not what we're offering. So mm. I think it's also part of the old way of thinking about what the problems were and how you were storing and mm. coping with them in the first place. Yeah. If you think that there's a Pandora's box and you're going to zip it all in a suitcase, the work's done six days, bosh, lovely, yes. we'll just carry on as we did before, thanks. Yes. Until exactly. we can't cope then, again. Yeah, yeah exactly. you're trying to change all that. I say to people, it's just not realistic, nor is it safe in six days to address and heal a lifetime of heartbreak. It's just not possible. And it would be dangerous yes. if I couldn't cope with it. Yeah. So we, we, we create a space for one yeah. or two significant heartbreaks and that's more than enough in six yeah. days. And then what you leave with, yeah. once that's lightened your system and you've become more resilient, resilient as a result of that, and then what you leave with is the resources to continue your work if you choose to. And again, if people don't continue their mm. work, their system will just get back filled up with the emotional blocks yeah. again. And that's their choice. But I think it's like anything, Ellie. It's very hard to fall back to sleep once you've woken up. Oh, yes. But wouldn't it be nice sometimes? <laughs> It'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's so true, though. I think I felt in my path with healing work is that I feel that the more work you do the more fiercely you guard your boundaries well first of all you may have boundaries where you didn't before let's be you know honest and I think you guard them more but in a flowing way in a gentle way not in a rigid way it's like you know I need this space now I'm not going to let it get cluttered up with the detritus that got me here in the first place with the yes. saying yes smiling with the... sweetly yeah oh man I mean, I think, isn't that just a, an age? I've got this sort of theory around small wastes. 
I wonder whether or not the tightening of the waist was also a, like a gagging of um, mm, of the feminine. Because when, you're, when your waist is smaller, you can't belly breathe, you can't get, you know, good quality breath and you can't then express yourself truthfully. I don't know, I wonder, I mean, there's a, so much school of thought on that, but I just think yeah, it's really, around the waist, yeah. <laughs> whip off the belt, breathe it's into your belly. You said, because when I did some, talking about you being a breath worker, I did some breath work years ago and transformational breathing it was and the guy that I did the work with and he said something and it all stuck with me he said he always when he sees somebody come in and they've got a six pack he thinks oh I've got my work cut out here because it's not only holding everything in it's it, that includes the emotional release it's harder to access all of Absolutely. that wisdom in the body because it's covered over in all this rigid tight muscle and he said I always encourage people to get a softer belly he said you need a softer belly for that release you know so I've never forgotten that and he he, he literally he would come in and someone's got that six pack and he's like oh it's gonna be a week (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah I think that's really interesting actually because I find it with people that do a lot of exercise that type A because I think that what happens is often people that exercise like that are really channeling lots of other emotions into the workout or the routine I remember going to therapy once and a guy said to me runners what are they running away from (laughs) and I thought phew glad I didn't bother (laughs) it's like anything though isn't it it's like you can you know like anything you can use something in a healthy way you can use it in an way and you know yes somebody that did the bridge she was a a runner and she said before she did the bridge she felt that she was running away and afterwards she felt she was running towards and it was a really beautiful shift that she Mm. felt like I'm not running away from life I'm running towards it it's something I love but I don't need to use it to escape beautiful yes beautiful Oh, Donna, it pains me to kind of wrap up with you because I could talk to you for hours. And I love your, I love that what you share is curiosity and Mm. humour around the work. Because that's so important, isn't it? To be able to have fun, have a laugh. My breathwork teacher says, you know, you can choose if you want it to be hard Mm. or you want it to be easy, you choose. And that was like a such a invitation it was like well I'm, yeah. I do a little bit of both actually but the idea that it has to be one way or the other just isn't true you can laugh and cry and shout through those happy totally messy I love tears it. I love it. one of the great outcomes <laughs> for many people around trauma is that you can have quite a dark humor sometimes and and I think that I still have mm. that I wouldn't really call it dark anymore but I definitely have I cannot even in my darkest yeah. moments yeah I have a wicked mischievous side even in my darkest moments you know I remember when I went to the doctors and he said for the first time after I collapsed in the toilet and he said uh Mrs Lancaster I think you're depressed and I I I was thinking, I can't be depressed. I'm a warrior woman. I haven't got time to be depressed. And I remember he gave me some very cheap NHS tissues and I had loads of snot coming out of my nose. And I went like this and they, my fingers went right up my nostrils because the, the tissues were so cheap. And I, said to, and I turned to him in my distress and I said, cheap too. And we both burst out laughing. You know, and it's like even I was verging on suicidal then and I could still find the lightness of life and yeah. I, I've never lost that I've never lost yeah. that and I, in some ways Ellie I think that trauma gave that to me if that sounds if that makes sense it's like there was it yeah. was a way to survive yeah. 
my childhood was you had to find humor in something because it wasn't very funny <laughs> so yeah. so we found our own life <laughs> well also there's some there's some safety in what in the space you create for, for others with humor as well I think people are like oh she's Absolutely. oh few and, and as long as few. you're not using it to hide behind you know and, and you actually can lighten yeah. the mood and actually when because we work a lot with people that are traumatized on the bridge we always get them after they've done a mm. deep piece of kind of emotional excavation what we do is we always show them a video to give them a laugh a little comedy up just a short clip and it's really an important part of the trauma uh, therapeutic process is to have that, that yeah. humour at the end of it. Because it also reminds you of what you're kind of mm. doing all the work for is joy. Just to have more joy, more peace yeah. and uh, more lightness in your life. Yeah. Yeah. We do that in breath work as well. I get people just to um, make some sound into a cushion. I get them to laugh. I get them to um, say some affirmations. But that playing on that beautiful fine line between <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and going, whoa, I can take myself kind of seriously there sometimes and literally be like, oh, this state is like, you know, the veil Absolutely. is very thin. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's just what I, life is just so rich, you know, and it is, it, it's just, yeah. yeah, that's what makes us so beautifully human. It's so, and it's just, it saddens me yeah. that so many people are trying so desperately to hold on to these emotions that they consider weak or, or negative. And actually, if you just surrender to it, it they will mm. do what they're meant to do, which is flow through you and you will. Yeah. But, oh my they're not going to take you know, down. Anything, they're going to flow. You, know, you, yeah. you take yourself down by denying their very existence. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. So tell me, and um, the people listening, so, how can people access your work? Oh, yeah. Oh, and tell you. us about so, the book so as well. bridgeretreat.com is our website. <laughs> and the do documentary is available for free on lovedocumentary.com. No brackets lovedocumentary.com it's also on amazon prime but you can get it on that website uh, for free if you don't have amazon um, yeah. and then yes i have so i'm also on social media as you know i'm on instagram as at donna lanks l-a-n-c-s or at the bridge retreat and uh, and the book i'm writing a book which is really loosely based on the work of the bridge it's called the bridge and it's going to be a a seven week program if you like to really support people to move from that sense of perhaps hopelessness and and that they've lost connection to parts of themselves mm. as emotional uh, orphans into a place within seven weeks where they really can uh, return for and integrate all parts of their being so it's really like a, a roadmap for wholehearted living Oh, I'm so excited. And thank you so much for letting your orphans in and oh, showing us that you. it's safe it is, to do so. Yeah, it's what it's all about. And they're so, it's so lovely to have all those inner children yeah. inside of you. It's, it, you know, it's, you really move when you do your work from childish to childlike. And that's what I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a mature, yeah. an emotionally mature, wise elder alongside a five-year-old, joyful, love and light-filled child girl and that is the winning combo in my yeah yeah 
Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you so, so much. And if you haven't sought out Donna's work, you need to. And Thank it's been you, such Ellie. a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the She's Illuminated podcast. And I really hope that you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you did, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and we'll deliver each new episode directly to your device. And we'd love it if you'd leave a review to help us spread the love far and wide. And if you can't think of anything to write, then maybe just tap five stars and say it's the best podcast ever. Big love.